These are extraordinary times, but with too much information and much of it confusing. On Body Ecology Living, I interview some of the best minds to help you live your best life possible. We'll discuss topics on using foods to heal, on building a hearty immune system, on aging well, on taking care of your gut and, of course, your brain, but most of all, on clarifying the right steps to be happier, healthier, and having the energy to make a difference in your own world. Welcome, everybody, to Body Ecology Living. Um, I have interviewed Sally K. Norton about oxalates, and I want to talk more about oxalates. So I got another oxalate expert on our podcast today, and he's way more than just an oxalate expert. He's an expert in um, MTHFR, but also uh, topics related to MTHFR. He has a book. You know, I really like for people to know the books that are very much worth reading because there's so many books out there and there's so much information out there. And you, the more you know about your, what, what we all need, the more you can start to really distill down and focus on the things that are most important to know. So this book, which is called Your Genius Body, uh, A Guide for Optimizing Your Genes and Changing Your Life. So of course, we're going to be talking about your genes too, but um, it's by Dr. Andrew Rustenberg. So welcome, Dr. Rustenberg. <laughs> Thanks for having welcome, me. Welcome, Yeah, sorry. I know your name very well. I know why I'm stumbling. I guess I think I'm really excited here. <laughs> Dr. Andrew Rustenberg. Rosenberg, so thank you very much for doing this podcast. Of course. It's nice to be with you. Well, um, I've actually been following you off and on for years, so I knew you were uh, talking about some things about oxalate that I really kind of didn't have time to understand. And when I learned about MGHFR years ago, nobody really taught me the very, very basics. I just kind of jumped in into a topic that I'd never heard about before and tried to understand it. And, and it was really hard. And part of me didn't want to know it, but I kept going back. I think a lot of people feel that way. I think a lot of people, you know, hear about methylation, they start to look at it and it's so complicated that they give up, even practitioners. And this is such an important topic. Uh, so your book, your genius body has a great title because our body is amazing. And for so many years, I've been, you know, helping people get well and everything. But what shocks me is the number of people that honestly don't care about their body and they just eat anything, whatever they want. And they also uh, don't really have, understand how incredibly it is, uh, fortunate it is to have a body. So I love the title and I want to really buy the book and read the book, but there's so much in the book that I didn't really want to talk about too much on your genius body. But why? What, what do you mean by that? I do want to at least address the title. Well, that's a good question. And, you know, I'm a chiropractor by profession. And I, what I love most about what I do every day, you can see my table behind me, is I, I get to blend like touching people and helping them with their physical body, but also talking, bringing in functional medicine and epigenetics into the conversation. And to me, it's kind of like a test kitchen in here. It's kind of the way I think of my practice, but it, it's just working on people all these years, these past uh, like 13 years, bodies just don't make mistakes. And that's a philosophy that uh, has come through, you know, my profession, we call it the innate intelligence. The body just doesn't make mistakes. And I think that when people are in a state of despair and they're really challenged with a chronic health problem that is literally taking over their life. I th it's really important to orient them uh, philosophically, maybe spiritually, emotionally back to the idea that even though it's difficult today, your body isn't broken. Your body never makes mistakes. Your body's a genius. And to me, well, you got to have a good philosophy in order to move forward. So I just like to bring awareness to that idea. Okay, but I'm going to play the devil's advocate here and say that people are probably thinking when they hear you say that, that the body does make a mistake. Isn't cancer a mistake? All, all these rebellious cells in tissue, in the bone marrow and so on, aren't they, even the brain, wherever their cancer is forming, um, that's a mistake. They're not supposed to behave that way. That's a good question too. And I think we should 
split the hair between a body that never makes mistakes and a body that's invincible. Um, even the person struggling today that gets news that they have stage four, you know, pancreatic cancer or something really, really challenging. Even the moments right now of them on this earth, their body is still acting in every cell across all systems in the best interest of that person to keep them alive the longest and to give them the most um, healthiest life possible. And that's really what we mean by a genius body is, I mean, illness and death is part of life, but even somebody struggling with a chronic, serious, life-threatening disease or somebody who gets in a car accident and is losing blood, the body doesn't have to be given a drug or told to go into, you know, fight or flight to keep that person alive. It's all wired into who we are. And I just, I think it's, it's important to just remember no matter what your health condition is or how long you've been struggling, um, looking at your body like there's something wrong with it creates an adversarial relationship and that does hinder the process of getting better. Um, and believe me, uh, we have a lot of different chronic patients in our office with complex issues. But yeah, bodies don't mis don't make mistakes, all brain tumors included. It's we change the environment that the body's in and we change the uh, then we change how the body acts. But the body's just doing what it was designed to do beautifully under the circumstances. And that is to give you the most health and the most life possible. And if you don't if you aren't enjoying health and seeing the vitality you want, you have to go change the environment, change the foods as you have, you know, we're pointing out 30 years ago. Um, and, and then we've learned we can change genetic expression and change other things to show that, let the body express that genius. Um, so it still, it still doesn't make mistakes even when you have cancer. Yeah. So I just want to add to that. I agree with you, but really cancer, a tumor is the body protecting us because there's the bad cells misbehaving and so the body isolates them into a tumor to protect us so that that's an example right there but i just wanted to clarify that because when you tell people the body's never making mistakes that's really confusing to somebody say with um who's become a long hauler now um so there's so much to talk about not that much time so what i wanted to do was i've got all my notes here and i wanted first of all to really acknowledge you because i think chiropractors are great i have a great one myself but you have gone beyond your training in chiropractic and you have become a functional medicine practitioner and you're specializing in dna and hormones so you know when if you really want to help somebody you you have to know both those subjects you have to know about genes have to know about hormones and if they're just not addressed by most practitioners. I, I think that it would be great if chiropractors, because they're the perfect people to teach, um, you know, for, you know, it would be great if as part of their training, they also learned how to take a person's genes and use these tests, the DNA tests, for example, in the reports and be able to go beyond their chiropractic um, help and help people with their DNA. So let's dig into that because you do a beautiful job of it. Um, your, and so let's, first of all, look at MTHFR, because that's pretty famous. A lot of people know those letters, but in the book, I love this book, in this book, you've really taken the understanding of MTHR to a whole new level and all the different parts of the body that are being affected, blood sugar, stress, hormones, uh, it's amazing <laughs> to me how you've taken this complex sub subject taking each one of these different problems that can be caused where MTHFR is playing a role and you've explained it very simply. So I highly recommend this book to people that are listening, but let's start off with MTHFR, please. And then um, maybe look at, uh, let's see, detoxification. Let's take that topic. Absolutely. So it is, as you said at the beginning, an intimidating subject. And I, you know, nobody out there, very few listeners are going to want to go get a PhD in genetics. And I wouldn't really recommend they do that either because that just seems like, you know, like sadomasochistic kind of a, a route to go. Um, but and not necessary. And not necessary. That's right. And, you know, what's the point of having, last time I checked, there was 36 million published studies in PubMed. And I mean, after 36 million people and doctors and professionals putting their research into the world's library, if we can't figure out how to use this information, we should just give up because 
how many do you need? You need a billion studies before it's going to make a difference. Um, you know, I kind of have a sarcastic uh, sense of humor that you see it coming out, but that's, that's kind of one of the thought processes behind this work is people need to know this story. And MTHFR is basically the movement of a molecule, a very simple molecule that our bodies depend on. And the movement is a, a movement of a molecule of carbon. And it seems very simple. It's why it's called methyl group, just like the word methane has one carbon. Methylation is the movement of one carbon. And it's so fundamental to how we grow and our cells divide and that if you get this cycle correct with a little bit of education and understanding and you support it, then you have massive changes across, like it just echoes throughout your body, throughout your life and good things happen. Um, unfortunately, if we don't get this cycle right, the opposite begins to happen. And because it's so widespread throughout our body, it begins to create changes all over the place. And so, you know, our body, in order to detox something, we, the word in functional medicine is biotransformation, which means you're, you have to change the nature of these molecules so they can move out of you. You can't just reach into your body and remove the lead or remove the hormones or the toxin that you inhaled um, breathing the air in your city or something, or the maybe the flame retardant on your new couch, you know. So methylation is one of the key ways that our body uses a chemical reaction to make something change its, to go from something that's fat soluble to something water soluble so that we can put it into the bile and we can get rid of it. So, you know, methylation affects how fast you detox and it definitely affects how fast you like make neurotransmitters. So that's, that was one of the things that uh, got my attention was we were noticing that some people have tendencies to be blue and depressed and apathetic and they get down when they're stressed out. Other people tend to go the other way and they get really anxious and they like stay up, sleep two hours a night and they can't go to sleep and they get anxiety attacks and palpitations and high blood pressure. And ironically enough, as you read the book, at the end of the book, we talk about how that all relates to MTHFR, but I'm, I'll leave it there because but, but the couple of genes I know, you're, especially one gene I know you're talking about is the comp gene. Oh, gosh, yes. Uh, yeah, which yeah. is, you know, can go either way and definitely affects a person's personality. So we can maybe get into that. Um, but the important thing, so, but I'd like to also talk about gut genes. Um, there's a lot, a number of them, DQ2, DQ8. But one of my favorite ones to know about, and those are related to gluten. Does that make you gluten sensitive? But one of my very favorite ones you don't hear much about is food too. So I, this is an important one to know about and to correct because everybody's out there trying to have a healthier gut, healthier microbiome. So we can we just talk about that one? Because it's going to be really hard to talk about all these great things. Uh, there's so many topics we could talk about, but we can't cover them all. So trying to pick out a few so we can just, and then they can read the book. So let's talk about food too for a tiny bit. Yeah. <clears throat> food too is a, a kind of a big heavy hitter. And in terms of the population in our country, at least in our kind of Western developed world, we know that about 20% of people have two copies of this gene trait. So we have 20% of the population that we would say are homozygous. We get one copy from both parents and it has to do with a couple things. So foot foot two in our gut basically creates like a peach fuzz. If I, if I would describe it like that, a peach fuzz on the surface of the cells that line our gut. And this peach fuzz basically acts like a prebiotic. So it attracts kind of like when you want birds to come into your backyard, a certain kind, you put a certain bird food out and they will find their way to your backyard. Your body does the same thing with this gene. It creates a peach fuzz on the lining of your intestines to help these really keystone species like bifidobacterium, for example, to grow and become uh, well-established and create that positive, healthy environment in the, uh, in the intestines. The other thing that this peach fuzz does, which is really, I think, kind of unique too, if a yeast molecule or some toxic like C. difficile, some toxic bacteria grabs onto the peach fuzz and tries to use it for fuel, it'll break off from the lining of your intestine and now this this uh bad bug if you will it can no longer attach to you because it's sort of the place where it grabs onto your body is stuffed with this foot two foot two molecule and then when you have a 
your intestines will be able to clear the infection much faster without having to take drugs or antibiotics and deal with an infection. So those are the two gut parts of it. And then, of course, FUT2 is also the gene, the gene that um, allows women to put this peach fuzz, if you will, into the breast milk. So you think of all the benefits uh, that come from breastfeeding. Part of that is coming from the prebiotic, this peach fuzz that's in the milk itself in these little babies who have no gut bacteria. So it helps to helps babies get established uh, at a young age uh, when they're just born in those first months. So sometimes women have two copies of food too, and they're nursing babies. And, there's, and you obviously breastfeed your babies if you can, because it's the best food for them. And it's just that infants who are nursed by moms with who have two copies of food too, their biome doesn't grow and mature quite as fast as moms who let's say have two negative copies. So, and, and I want to preface this with this audience too. And just remember, just remember this concept too. Your genes are not your, they're not your destiny. They don't control your life, but they are your tendency when you're under stress. So there's typically a cutting edge, an edge that makes something worse, but there's also also a flip side to most genes that gives you a benefit too. And, and so you have to keep that in mind. It's not just a, you didn't get a bad deck of cards and you're just going to suffer forever. Um, you can, you can adapt, you can overcome it. Uh, but that food too is great. And, and products now have it in there to help with supplementing it. They have food too in there. I mean, they, there's, uh, su- supplement companies have developed a, an identical molecule, like a biologically identical food too. Um, like a human milk sugar, you mean? 2FL? It's called two. Yep. It's called two fucosolactose and it's non-dairy based. Um, and they can, they've put it into supplements now in certain cases, it's really helpful for people who are struggling in that area. So you start to see it showing up in more formulas, but the rest of the form, commercial oh, formulas are kind of crummy still. That's right. But you know, um, I was going to say though, uh, I really into babies and mothers and being healthy, but having healthy breast milk and everybody today is starting to breastfeed for a little while. And they are not taught anything about this, but uh, without the um, the sugars that are like, for example, I'm a blood type A, so in my blood I have the sugar that would feed the bifidus in my gut or in my breast milk. So um, I, th- I have found giving pe- actually giving people uh, uh, bifidus bacteria, and then um, even her the mother can check it and it'll show up in her breast milk. So there's more bifidus that, since it's going to be lacking without that gene. So that's really important, I think, to take bifidus. Um, anyway, so that's a good one to talk about. There's so many. I'm going to keep jumping around here. Um, so one of the most popular things out there, um, topics at the moment, is SIBO and CIFO. I was really surprised at what an excellent chapter you have in the book on SIBO. Uh, you mentioned things in there I've never, ever heard before. And I thought it was pretty into, you know, knowledgeable. For example, you talked about uh, people with SIBO problems don't produce folic acid. So if we could talk about that, are, there, are they low in folic acid? Are they high in folic acid? Yeah. Like what's the problem with that? With, because no one's talking about this topic. Well, what led me to this was I was aware of MTHFR and the need to give members of my practice, patients I was working with, you know, support for MTHFR. And we do that by giving them methylated B9, methylfolate. And sometimes patients, even though it looked like they needed more folate because of their gene, they would take it and have negative side effects. They would get maybe GI upset or they would have headaches or sometimes they'd get insomnia and have these crazy kind of panic experiences. And it, and again, the philosophy that the body's not, nobody's messing with me. They're not just, you know, making up symptoms. It's really going on and the body doesn't make any mistakes. So I'm like, well, why would something that's good for somebody genetically affect them negatively when you put it in your mouth and swallow it? And I was like, okay, it must be possibly that something in the gut is eating that vitamin first before they get to absorb it. And when you eat that, when the bacteria eat B vitamins, like folate, for example, they grow voraciously fast. Um, and so people with SIBO and MTHFR issues, they sort of collide in this concept of, of folate. So uh, folic acid and folate, vitamin B9. So what happens? Because MTHFR is part of the, uh, folate is part of the MTHFR cycle. So I just kind of wanted to make sure 
that's that right. was tied together. That's right. When you have two copies, if somebody has two copies of MTHFR and and they are and they inherited a, a quote slow version of methylation, taking activated B nine jumps over the the roadblock and delivers the vitamin that they're not good at making themselves. That's basically the the moral of the story. So that methylation cycle can work properly, running around the body, turning all these genes off and on like it's supposed to. Exactly. And um, B12 is very important in that cycle too. Um, 100%. The problem with SIBO though is people, ironically enough, bacteria can make B vitamins. And so sometimes people, even though genetically they look like they need more B9, because of their gut health is so dysfunctional, they have this overgrowth of bacteria. They're actually pumping out massive quantities of B9, but they're not able to make B12 in their gut. So it's kind of like, instead of getting the correct ratio of all your vitamins, when you have SIBO, it makes you really low in zinc and iron and B12 and vitamin D and all these important vitamins, but you're through the roof sky high and and folate. And so it's just, that's an un uncomfortable situation for people in their chemistry because they're able to, they, they tend to make more stress hormones, make more adrenaline. They get very anxious. Their, their stress tolerance goes down. It's a mess. So we, we've seen once we clear the gut and help their gut heal and uh, get rid of, get SIBO uh, dealt with properly, um, they can then take B vitamins and they don't, they only benefit from them. They don't get any uh, negative side effects. So I've never heard anyone say that before. And many, many people are you know, and are talking about SIBO, even practitioners helping people with SIBO. This is a completely unknown topic as far as I'm concerned. So it's an example of these gems throughout the book. Um, I honestly don't think enough people know about this book and how important it is. I, I have to tell you, you're not doing a good enough job marketing it because I was reading it thinking, oh my gosh, I don't even want to go back to work because I want to read the next chapter. So many great topics that you're covering. But um, so... <clears throat> so just looking at my notes here on uh, staying on this topic a little bit longer, I just want to say that B vitamins, bifidus particularly, and full uh, lactobacillus plantarum are both excellent at producing folate, but I have never heard, and of course that is a problem in the small intestine. If lactobacillus gets up into the small intestine, it's causing a problem, even though in the colon it's a beneficial bacteria. So Too much of a good I wanted thing. to throw that in. Yeah, too much of a good thing mm-hmm. becomes a, a problem. Absolutely. Yep. So if you have SIBO, you're going to have, as Dr. Rosenberg said, low B12, low vitamin D, and low iron. Uh, so take that into consideration. And if your practitioner doesn't know that, share that, please, and share, share the book. But um, So let's talk about another issue that I've been into for many years, and that's yeast infections, another infection in the gut. Uh it could be in the colon, it could be in the small intestine. In the small intestine, it's called small intestine fungal overgrowth. So I'd like to kind of get into yeast infections. Um, you do a great job, to, you know, you have a really good understanding of them. How about um, where does MTHFR play a role with yeast infections? The basic problem where yeast infections and MTHFR collides is that, to my knowledge, you know, anywhere on earth where since the beginning of time, the only alcohol we've ever been able to enjoy responsibly was due to the action of yeast. In other words, yeast is the only organism that I've ever learned about or know about that can produce ethanol and and create libations, create uh, spirits or, or alcoholic beverages. And, and that's actually begins to happen in the gut itself. So even when there's a little bit of a mild yeast overgrowth or on the spectrum going into severe, individuals unbeknownst to them are actually producing ethanol. When we eat fermentable, we eat grapes and we eat, you know, starches, we're eating fermentable sugars in our diet as part of the standard American palate. Um, those fermentable sugars feed yeast. Yeast gets first access because they're waiting, they're sitting down there in the gut just saying, give me more, give me more. And they, they get first access to those sugars. They go into a fermentation. And they're craving, they're telling you to eat them. Once they you start are. eating them and they're they take over. They send signals, strong signals to the brain to keep giving more carbs. They're greedy, greedy little organisms. And, um, and so ultimately, ethanol per- is blocks the absorption of folate. So the, 
Just like a woman who's pregnant should not be drinking any alcohol, the reason why is alcohol blocks, ethanol blocks folate absorption from your intestines. So if you if you need MTHFR support, you need these B vitamins, which you which you do, and you have a yeast problem in your intestines, your your yeast issue is robbing you of the nutrition to run your chemistry. And so you can't really fix your chemistry which will enrich your life in many, many ways until you fix your hidden gut problem you didn't know you were dragging around. So, so let me ask you a question right here about that because we were just talking about folic acid and not you shouldn't be taking folate if you have SIBO. So now a woman's been told to take folate during her pregnancy. It's in all the prenatal vitamins, of course. Would you say, uh, so this is why before you get pregnant, it's really important to correct all your problems, like gut problems particularly. But what would you say to a, you, uh, one of your patients who come in, comes to you, she's pregnant and she has SIBO? Well, if she's pregnant and has SIBO, bless her heart, we will, we will not have the full toolkit at our disposal because pregnancy is a special kind of experience. We don't want to do a bunch of det- heavy detoxing and a bunch of major gut protocols. But, you know, in a case like that, what I would, the, the responsible physician would do follow-up testing. They would look at CBCs, look at your uh, mean cell volume, mean corpuscular volume, look at homocysteine levels. You could figure out how much folate someone needs in a roundabout way. Um, and sometimes we give, we give our patients a transdermal B vitamin that goes past the gut skips over the gut process and goes straight into their bloodstream. So if we need to help a pregnant woman who is taking a prenatal, um, uh, that's a, that's a good question. I don't, I don't hate well, you know, vitamins, but when yeah, I would say to, to somebody, a woman is that um, to eat a lot of dark green leafy vegetables that are rich in folate, because then that would be not taking folic acid, not taking in a supplement, but another way to, be sure you get some. And I love the idea about the B vitamin topical. I didn't even think about that. They have products that were developed for, you know, kids on the spectrum who aren't ever going to be able to really swallow pills. And so, um, yeah, Steve, you said something really important. If before, Mom and dad should get do three or four months of work with a functional medicine doctor before you get pregnant and it'll pay huge dividends. Um, but yeah, it'd be nice to fix SIBO before uh, you're carrying baby, but if you happen to mm-hmm, catch a carrying baby, you can do it after. <laughs> yeah, but but yeah, of course, anytime. But the other thing is when you have SIBO or CIFO, your small intestine, which is a really important area for absorbing nutrients to feed yourself and your baby, uh, you're going to have a problem there. So that's actually a really important one to fix. And I, I want to, in case anybody's now wondering, well, okay, I want to do that. I want to go to somebody before I get pregnant. We want to get pregnant. As a matter of fact, you've got a better chance of getting pregnant if you fix the problems dr rosenberg has uh you can you don't have to be in colorado you can actually be uh, on the phone and you can start to work together that way right that's right and actually we're in idaho but close enough it's all good oh (laughs) Oh, i swear well sometimes i'm not real good with my geography obviously (laughs) not everybody not everybody pays attention to us and that's okay yeah well it's, we want to tell people where you're located and the name of the websites and everything right now. It's a good time to say it. Sure. So we're, my clinic is called redmountainclinic.com and it's Red Mountain Natural Medicine. And we, uh, we've been working over the phone uh, probably since 2014. So we were, we were ahead of the big push to do telemedicine. We've done, we've had thousands of patients. Uh, we've helped over the phone and uh, a lot of what came, a lot of work over the distance helped us figure out how to solve problems uh, using functional medicine testing more efficiently. I think a lot of, well, my one complaint with functional medicine in general is it costs 3,500 bucks or something just to get testing done. And I mean, that's just not realistic for most people. So with the right information in your head and a little bit of investment on testing, you can really crack the code and break it open and, and find the, find the low holes in the bucket and, I always like to say too, nobody goes bankrupt doing this kind of work. So it's it's a it's worth it. Your health is worth it, whether with me or someone else. You, it's it's absolutely money well spent. You know, one of the things I think that's really smart to do that you do is um, do DNA testing because there's so much in, information 
in those reports that you get back if you know how to interpret them like you do. Uh, so many things that you can correct before you get pregnant. And I've I found that in people. I've looked at the problems where they couldn't get pregnant. I'm trying to think, oh, one one woman, she couldn't get pregnant. They really wanted to have a baby. They you know, had enough spacing between the first one and the, the new one they wanted to have. But when I looked at her, at her genes, a whole bunch of her fatty acid genes, she had like SNPs or variants in all of them, just literally all of them. And so just simply putting her on uh, well, PEMT. She also had a PEMT SNP, which is really critical, choline for the baby's brain and for the cells. Um, and then taking, you know, most omega-3 and omega-6 fatty acids. She, in about, I don't know, eight weeks, she answered me back in an email and she said, we have, we're expecting a baby. So it is amazing what you can, I mean, I wish people understood that it's one of the most important things can, to do. And so you offer that testing, so you can just talk about that a little bit, a little bit, please. For sure, we basically have settled on ancestry, ancestry DNA as our preferred uh, testing system. It's the most affordable that we know about. It's usually around a hundred dollars, and you get this raw data file. That's what you pay them to do, and then you download a raw data file and you upload it to um, someone who I've been following a long time, uh, Sterling Hill. She has a group called mthfrsupport.com, and that's that that creates a 60-page PDF that I read and, and will interpret. You can kind of look through it yourself too. But there's other companies in the space, you know, once I kind of find the, the I build the relationships with the people I work with, I I know there's a lot of other stuff going on in the in the in the marketplace. But um, again, I'm nothing wrong with making a profit, but I do try to make it affordable for people. I feel like that'll help make it something that people are willing to do, you know? Um, and, and, you know, I do use a different company, but if somebody's already got uh, used another company, yeah, there's a handful sure. of good ones out there, you can still still spend another $100 and go ahead and do Ancestry so that they could work with you. Sure. And actually, I, 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 testing, uh, Donna, I get testing from patients all over the place, and they bring me 15 different genetic reports. Uh, I have my favorite, but if somebody's already done genetic report, usually if there's enough information in there, you can work with it. But, um, but you just, the general principle of looking at it uh, to see where somebody has a tendency to be stuck is a great thing. And I think what you're mentioning in that case study is, you know, healthy animals get pregnant, just to be brutally honest, and unhealthy animals have a hard time carrying a baby. You've got to be healthy in your own self so that you can have enough extra to build someone from scratch. It's a pretty amazing thing uh, that it happens. And um, we need to support well, these, these individuals for sure. You know, you just reminded me of something. I have a friend who's an embryologist, and he, of course, works with a bunch of other embryologists. And he told me that a huge number of women are getting pregnant. And then within the first 28 days, nature's rejected. Re has rejected that embryo that started to form because it wasn't forming properly. So she has a period and she doesn't have any idea she got pregnant. Uh, so the pregnancy is occurring more than people realize, but the, um, nature is very strict and, and basically the embryo is not passing the test. But I also attended a web webinar um, with a man expert in male infertility, and over 200 million men around the world are now infertile. Definitely going to have a reduction in population. Probably that's a good thing. But if you're one of those people who really, really want to have a baby, there's a lot, lot of things you can do. Um, so I'm sure you work with people, couples uh, beforehand, and they really, really should prioritize that. I have a lot of, uh, we joke around the practice and we say, you know, we've gotten a lot of women pregnant, <laughs> um, but oh, yeah. you know, that's great. women and men, but I'll, I'll give women the credit that they're a little more forward thinking and pay a little bit better attention to their health guys in general. Uh, if something's not turning black or green or falling off their body, they tend to sort of wait to do something about it. Um, so, but as you point out, 30% of the time in this case of infertility, it's actually the guy that's not healthy enough to, uh, you know, his swimmers are too, too weak. So 
Yeah, and you know, they don't know. It's not something you can tell. You don't get a rash or any obvious sign. It might take four weeks to fix. It might take 90 days. In the in, in the grand scheme of your life, it's a flash in the pan. And it's, I think that's one of the hard parts about selling functional medicine to the market. I, I, there aren't enough TV shows and movies and books that show it in a positive light. So people are kind of, they just don't recognize its value yet. But I think we're just ahead of the curve, frankly. So, and that's fine. I agree. But also they think it's complicated and it really isn't once you get into it. I, I love the topic. But um, I just wanted to put in a plug for one of our products. We have probiotic liquids, and one of them is, uh, has Dunkwai in them. And uh, it's like fermented liquid. It's really a probiotic, but with Dunkwai. And Dunkwai is excellent for healthy, increasing sperm friskiness. <laughs> increasing sperm and increasing the friskiness of the sperm so that it can swim on up there and grab that egg. <laughs> so just a little plug there, but... Now, really, really, really want to get into oxalates. And I know when I first invited you, you said, emailed you and said, please come on the podcast and let's talk about oxalates because you have another, this is another place where you have a unique insight. Talk about bile. And, and I just want to say that, um, you know, I had a yeast infection for many years because I took antibiotics for many years because I was told to by my doctors to have nice skin. And my vanity had me taking, taking this, uh, anyway, screwed up my gut. <laughs> and, um, so that made me extremely sensitive to oxalates. And all these years I have been avoiding them. I recommend people, you know, be real mindful of what, what, um, what foods are, vegetables are high in oxalates and, and avoid those. But then from a chapter in your book on oxalates, I learned something I've never heard of before, and it's so valuable. So could we talk about oxalates, like just sort of mention what they are for people that don't know, because many people don't know. And, um, you know, just your whole thing that you're talking about with sulfate and bile, like I never heard that before. Yeah, so oxalates are one of these compounds that we would classify as an anti-nutrient. And what that would simply mean is it's in food that's healthy. Some of the healthiest food literally that science has ever identified happen to be food that's high in oxalate, like beets and carrots and almonds. I think that rhubarb is one of the highest, spinach, uh, things of this nature. And, so and, the, and almonds, and almonds milk, which people are taking so much of right now. It's right. Soy, if you're a vegetarian. That's right. So it's it's just, it's about the balance of knowing, you know, moderation is the, the concept that pops in here. But oxalates are an anti-nutrient because they're this simple molecule that plants make. It's part of their uh, like self-defense against being eaten by grasshoppers. It's also part of the structure of the plant. And we even make them in our cells. They're in, they're in animal ligaments and tendons. So when you eat bone broth and go to the Vietnamese restaurant and get pho, have a beef, you know, the soup that they offer, there's going to be oxalates in there too. So they're, they're not bad in and of themselves, but an oxalate molecule has unique characteristics. And unfortunately, uh, when you combine gallbladder problems with a high oxalate diet, it's like a perfect storm. And so many people have MTHFR issues. They're estrogen dominant. They're depleted in choline. They're poor detoxifiers. So their gallbladder already is sluggish and doesn't really create the right kind of bile. And then they're eating food high in oxalates. And so normally what's supposed to happen is you're supposed to absorb fats um, because your bile works, right? Your bile helps you absorb fats. And then, in your, and then further on down in your intestines, calcium and oxalate bind together. That gets stuck together and then you poop it out and it never goes in your body. What's happening now? People are eating rich foods, even good healthy fats like deep water salmon and, you know, fresh, uh, fresh fish, but the fats aren't digested correctly. So the fats are undigested and the fat and the calcium get glued together. And then you poop that out, unfortunately, so that you lose the healthy fats. And now the oxalate has nothing to bind to. So it goes into your body. So it's kind of like a leaky gut situation, but you're just leaking oxalates into your body way higher than you're supposed to because your gallbladder failed to do its job. And this leads to a, a domino effect where people begin to get kidney stones. That's the most common recognized problem. But it, as it says and in they there, take their gold, they just go to the doctor after a painful attack and 
there goes the gallbladder, which now they're really going to be sensitive to. Right. A genius body. I mean, the gallbladder does still keep, I mean, the liver keeps producing bile and it keeps dripping out. Right. But can you just add a little bit more to that? Yeah. So, you know, it still has, they have bile still. Yeah, so your, your, your liver is a fried chicken restaurant and the gallbladder is the dumpster out back. So normally the dumpster gets full three times a day. It's emptied out. That's normal. Um, once the dumpster is removed by surgery, your, your kitchen keeps throwing out waste. So the bile just drips out. When you eat, a little bit more comes out. But you never get that big dose that, that you were designed to have. Um, and so this is why having your gallbladder out won't. It's not life-threatening, but it changes your trajectory a little bit. You become susceptible to getting SIBO. Just 50% of people who have their gallbladder taken out will develop small intestine bacterial overgrowth. And that's the only marker they looked at in that study. And I know people that have had their gallbladder taken out and their appendix. They've had colon surgery, gastric sleeves. It's a mess. We don't need to butcher ourselves. We need to try not to unless our life's in danger. Um, But oxalates are one of those hidden health problems There's cases of people drinking a green smoothie every day and almost going into total liver failure because, you know, I'm not saying vegetables aren't healthy, but it's just everybody's unique. And where you are at 18 is different when you're 48 and 72. And um, if a little bit of green smoothie is good, you know, 25 ounces of it every day for six months could literally kill you, apparently, uh, if you're sensitive to oxalates. You got to find that. You got to find the moderate way, you know, the middle of the road. But. Yeah, but you can also make uh, smoothies without those high oxalate foods. I, I've said for many, many years, all foods have a front and a back. You need to look at the food and see what's the positive side, what's the negative side. Same with antibiotics. We should have done that when antibiotics came out. We should should have said, okay, great, you know, to have this wonderful purpose of killing these bacteria that people used to die from. But does it have a backside? And then we found out many years later that it, it does. And of course, it kills Oxalobacter formigenes. One of the most, I mean, his job, his only job in life is to eat oxalates. And I know my long-term use of antibiotics made me not have Oxalobacter. So I thought that was my issue. But I'm going to be much, much more mindful now and help people, because I bring this up a lot, uh, to understand this whole connection with the bile. I have a new book I'm working on and I have a great chapter on bile. It's a complicated subject, an important subject. But, um, you know, also what about the, do you mind just explaining the, the SULT gene and sulfate too? Cause that's another kind of part of methylation. It's, there's methylation and then you go down what's called the transulfuration pathway and then you find this SULT gene. So I know now we're getting into a little bit of a complicated topic, but see, that's why I love your book because everything in your book is very explained so well. It's very easy to understand. You have to be a little crazy to write a book too, I think in general. So um, yeah, I agree. I definitely agree with that. So just to keep it simple, the way to look at it is like this. Building things is what MTHFR has a big influence on. It's mostly influenced on building cells, proteins, um, neurotransmitters, building bodies, building babies in utero. It's about building things. Once you get to the top of the mountain and you're trying to get rid of stuff, because you don't want to just build hormones without ever getting rid of them. You're going to have a blood clot and gain 100 pounds because of too much estrogen or something like that. So you have to build it. And then you have to get rid of it. So the SULT gene is really a key player along with uh, COMT or COMT as it's called on the getting rid side of the equation. So it's really this equation. Am I making it fast enough? How do I change that? Or am I not getting rid of it fast enough? How do I change that? And so oxalates rob you of sulfur. So if somebody has MTHFR genetically, they're already not great at detoxing because it puts more pressure on their SULT gene, the sulfur detox pathway. And then when you get a big oxalate load, you're just, you basically lose access to sulfur. You kind of pee it out. It doesn't stay in your body long enough. And so your liver struggles even more because now your SULT gene, even if it was perfectly beautiful from your parents, just having oxalate problems is going to slow it down as if you inherited a bunch of red, uh, you know, plus pluses all over your report. So the environment rules your life, your genes determine your response to stress, whether it's a detox stress or an emotional stress or a physical stress. 
but yeah, oxalates are something we, we do the organic acid test. Uh, the one from Great Plains Labs, the one I use the most, and it gives you three markers for oxalates and so, and a bunch of other great data. So we've been, you know, once you get it on your radar screen, it's definitely pays dividends to treat it. It's something we treat in the beginning when we're working with people with gut problems. Um, but yeah, people who well, are you know that, Andrew, that's why I was so excited about your book because first of all, I've taken out the oat test and um, I have an issue with oxalates and yet I don't eat any high oxalate foods. I'm very strict about that. So something else was going on. Um, and then because of the book, from reading your book, I found out uh, I do have MGHFR, two copies of the 677T, like many, many people, like almost all the children with autism, for example. So, um, and then also this whole part that you talk about, about sulfur, S-U-L-T, uh, the, the gene that, tra- the gene that you talk about that transports sulfur and oxalates around together. I know, I know we probably don't have time to get into the details of that, but uh, it was like a, a totally new like awakening that I so grateful for having, you know, writing this book and learning this myself because I was doing everything I thought was right. And I, and I missed, I didn't know about either one of these. So um, anyway, they have to read the book and they can get much more information. But my last question, because I know you have to go, is about long haulers. And suddenly now we have this new condition in the world. Um, all these people that constantly say, you know, I was fine before I got COVID or I got a light case of COVID and now I'm exhausted. So we know that the mitochondria are involved, fatigue. We know um, they're depressed. We know uh, blood clotting, for example, heart, people suddenly dying of heart problems, even though they're very young, even though they were healthy, had were heart healthy before that. So I was just thinking that since you tie together hormones, uh, DNA testing, and uh, oxalates, you know, all that, the, you know it, I would think it would be fantastic for people that are long haulers to come to you, learn, you know, because they said, okay, I'm fine, but they probably were much more at risk than they had any idea uh, about. And so I just think it would be very cool if you, because um, everybody all over the world, people are trying to understand what's going on, all these activated viruses that have come out, yeast has become a problem from the infection. So um, have you worked with any long haulers? And if not, people listening, please uh, let work with Dr. Rosenberg and try to, you know, you might find something really important that can help you uh, get over being a long hauler. So, do you have have you got long haulers in your practice? I mean, we do because it's a it's part of the population now. Um, it's not you know everybody who got sick is dealing with the side effects of of this virus. And I would just say a, a few things. And first is the people who are long haulers didn't get a different virus than their spouse or their children in their house or whatever. I I really believe that what you're looking at is you're looking at the net effect of fighting a virus and surviving does to a person. And so we, our bar of health is so low in this society, this culture, that health is so misunderstood that somebody got, let's say this is, this is a, a meter of health. Let's say somebody was, you know, lower half, but compared to the average, they're just an averagely health per, healthy person, which in, honest, in our society isn't very good. They get sick and their body squeezes out and has to use all this extra zinc and selenium and protein and cortisol and all these compounds to keep them alive. Thank God the body did what it was supposed to do because it doesn't make mistakes. It used everything it had on the inside to keep them alive and they got over COVID. They look back and they go, man, I started here and now I'm down here. Well, it's not the virus still attacking you. It's the, it's the, it's the collateral damage of fighting to survive. And people, I would believe, I would, what I've noticed in my practice is these long haulers have these hidden problems that we've touched on today. They have hidden gut infections, hidden yeast issues, overgrowth in their small intestine, terrible stomach acid production. And what that sets them up for is malnutrition. They can't, repl- they can't replenish their cells with these essential nutrients very well. 
because their gut doesn't do its job. And so they fought the battle one, but they're looking back going, man, that took everything out of me. I'm, I'm, I'm not recovered. I'm like, well, yeah, because you've got to, you got to look at a person and how they work. You, you re you rebuild yourself from your mouth, from what you eat. So that's my, that's my advice to those long haulers. Um, I mean, that's kind of how we look at it. We don't, we don't get pigeonholed into this is a, just a COVID issue. No, it's a person. What was their gut like? How many rounds of antibiotics have they been on in their lifetime? You know, what's, so that, that's the, to me, that's the art of, of functional medicine is really keeping, look, stay, staying up at 30,000 feet until you're over the target, then drill down and go fix it. Don't go chasing, don't go chasing too far um, with the label on your forehead because yeah. Well, you know, I just want to point this out, too, is that the practitioner that you're going to that trying to help you uh, might be missing, you know, like, for example, MTHFR could be a big issue. Depression, you know, the neurotransmitters, anxiety and depression, clearly that's an issue for uh, a long hauler. And yet you, that is, you know, if you have an issue with your genes, you're going to have anxiety and depression. And now you need to know that as part of getting well, because you can... The good thing is there's answers. These problems can be corrected. If you get to the root cause, which is what functional medicine is about, which is what you do so well, Dr. Rosenberg, I want to, I know you got to go. So thank you very much for being on. But I just want people to know, I always wonder if I show you this, does it come across, can you see it? Or does it yeah, come here, across backwards? It's it's coming across correct on my screen. So I, Oh, good. Because when I look at it, it's backwards. So it's called Your Genus Body, a guide for optimizing your genes and changing your life. Uh, where can they get it? This is available on Amazon. Um, I'll make sure and give you, you know, when should have a link. Maybe, well, it's just on Amazon. If you search Andrew Rostenberg, Your Genius Body, um, you'll see it there. And it's a Kindle and a, and a paperback. And I probably should have written six books instead of cramming it all into one, but hey, there you go. Oh, it's so comprehensive and so beautifully. Everything's, every chapter, whether it's blood sugar, whatever, it's beautifully, simply explained. So I'm very grateful for that. So thank you for writing the book and thank you for being on the podcast. Thanks so much for having me, Donna. You've been a wonderful host. Body ecology is not a diet. It's a way of life based on seven universal laws that always guide us toward the truth. If you want to know more about us, about these seven universal laws, and about our amazing, effective products, go to our website, bodyecology.com. Also, for a free transcript of this show, go to our website. Again, that's bodyecology.com. And of course, if you like what you're learning, we'd be very grateful for a review on Apple or wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you've got a topic you want to learn about, just let us know. This information does not replace the advice of your doctor or healthcare professional. Thank you very much for listening. And here's to a happier, healthier world.